Um, I'm going to share some scriptures with you this morning, but I'm going to actually start uh, with an interesting article that I read. And by the way, when I read articles to you, just to be clear, if we read an article or something from up here, it doesn't always mean that everything that was written that we endorse and agree with. We just live in such a funny world, right? It's like, well, you read that thing. It must mean that you just agree with everything that was written. It's like, whoa, take it easy, man. No, this is an article that I read. I thought it was interesting. I'm going to share it with you. And uh, and then I'm going to share a couple of thoughts. This article is about existential anxiety. Ooh, existential anxiety. Here's the the part. Actually, it's just an excerpt from the article. Uh, So this is uh, Amanda Dodson from Psychology Today. I watched the news this morning in an attempt to be a responsible, well-informed citizen. You probably know how this goes. The news was overwhelmingly very bad. (laughs) The plague is surging, terrorists are rising, the planet's dying, everything is on fire. I sat frozen on my couch, a forgotten mug, coffee, I'm sorry, a forgotten mug of coffee cooling in my hand. I had the urge to put my face in a throw pillow and let out a primal scream. That's when it occurred to me that this might be a nice time to discuss existential anxiety. So what is existential anxiety? Existential anxiety is just like regular anxiety, but inflated to the level of all existence. So regular anxiety, how many of you guys have ever felt that? It's kind of nice, isn't it? It's just a lovely little feeling in your stomach that works into a little acid reflux in your throat, and usually a little irritable anger with your neighbor eventually, some yelling at the kids, and then drinking, depending on who you are. Not me, but you guys. Existential anxiety is just like regular anxiety, but inflated to the level of all existence. It's like your anxiety went to school and got a philosophy degree. Your regular anxiety asks, what if we were driving and the wheels fell off the car? To which you can easily reply, we're safe because wheels don't just fall off cars. But your existential anxiety asks questions that are more difficult to answer. Your existential anxiety has some pressing questions for you about the state of the world. What happens to me if the sea levels rise? What if the pandemic goes on forever? What exactly does a code red for humanity mean? You've got to admit, your existential anxiety's questions are rather legitimate. It's just that you don't have any answers. You're probably not a climate scientist or an epidemiologist or a geopolitical expert. And even if you're one of those things, you're definitely not all three. So how can you put your mind at ease when the anxieties are so large and so unanswerable? It's extremely valid and correct to feel anxiety in response to terrifying world events. When our brain perceives a threat, our body takes over. Our brain is activated and we go into a state of fight, flight, or freeze. Unfortunately, a threatening story on the television is enough to activate this response, even when there's no immediate threat in the room with you. When you're anxious about the state of the world, you might find yourself with a pounding heart or tight muscles. That's because your body is preparing you to defend yourself from a physical threat. Your brain is great at perceiving threats, but not very good at differentiating between the physical and the existential. Obviously, you can't use your hyperarousal to fight off the growing threat of terrorist extremism from your living room So your anxious energy has to go, I'm sorry, has nowhere to go, and it simmers in your body. And this often leads to a mild disassociative response. We shut down and we feel nothing in response to feeling way too much. 
How, how many of you guys could identify with a little existential anxiety lately? I know, right? It's kind of crazy. I, I didn't know that that was a term until I was preparing for this sermon. I'm like, oh, I like that. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, not for existential anxiety, but the term works. It's important that we understand what we're facing. And how many of you guys get frustrated when, when you're saying like, hey, I'm really nervous about this thing. And on one hand, you have those that are like, yeah, well, then let's take the mountain charge. Woo! And you're kind of like, I don't know about that. I don't know if we have a clear path. And then you have the other group that sometimes can just basically tell you like, it'll be fine. Don't even worry about it. Everything's fine. And neither of those, when you're in that state, is very valid solution for most of us. Emotionally, do, do either of those response usually work? I mean, I guess the mood you might be in, they work sometimes, but most of the times we intellectually reject that. And I think appropriately because you are looking at very real things. You and I are feeling and looking and living through some very real things. But the question is, how do we walk forward with what God has called us to do? How do we walk in the spirit of Christ and how do we continue on in this time and not allow what this psychologist is calling existential anxiety to rule our lives and to actually make it to where we begin to act and live in a state of fear? Now, fear is kind of a loaded term because, quite honestly, people have been using it as a weapon against each other. And so if you're thinking a certain thing, somebody's like, well, you're just being motivated by fear, and that's why you're being such a coward right now, or Many other accusations. Have you guys experienced any of that? If somebody disagrees with you, they just tell you you're, you're, you're acting in fear and you're on the wrong side of history, the wrong side of the issue, or what have you. And obviously, that doesn't really help us very much because it doesn't solve the problem. It just divides us. I would like to suggest today that there are three spirits right now that the enemy is using to do what he's always tried to do from the very beginning of time. He's a liar. Jesus said it. He said he's a liar when he speaks. He lies, and when he lies, he uses his native language. And that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He's always seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. He hates you. You know why he hates you? Because you daughters and you sons look just like your daddy. You were made in his image, male and female, and he hates God, and therefore he hates you. And he is seeking to kill you, to steal from you and to destroy you. And his favorite way to get that rolling is to divide us. Jesus prayed that we would be one. Satan prays that we won't. So what he's using in this day and in this age is the same thing that he has always used, but there has been a specific push right now, and the very first weapon that he's using against us is the spirit of fear, the spirit of fear. And I want to talk to you today about that. But I, I also want to talk to you about two other um, manifestations. And I'm, I'm not sure. I've been praying through this. I think we can bring language to this for understanding. But I'm not trying to say in a complete black and white way that this is. I don't know if this is three demons, worked, three principalities working together. Or if it's one principality that then results in two other things. But I think it's three principalities working together is my suggestion, but I think you'll probably discern and agree that these things are present. The first one is fear. The second one is anger. And the third one is a religious spirit. And we see this manifest in really interesting ways on all ranges of issues where there's the fear of what might happen. There's the fear of those that don't join you fighting against what might happen. 
There's the anger with those who won't agree with your perspective and strategy. And then there is the religious spirit and sanctimonious, patronizing, condescending tone of judgment and damnation if you don't agree with whatever side of the issue that's being talked about. Now, I'm not saying about the right or wrong in this conversation. I want to be clear about that. But what I think that we're seeing is the enemy coming and using fear as a weapon against not just the believers, but all mankind. You guys know Satan hates all humans, whether they're saved or not. Now, he especially hates us. That's true. But he is coming to try to kill, steal, and destroy. And he's using these spirits to divide people and to force us to fight against one another, all the while hiding and sitting back, honestly, and laughing when we go for it. Fear, anger, and a religious spirit. Now, we're called to a different kingdom. We as believers are salt and light, and we're called to lead with the love of God and courage. But we are a people of a certain spirit, and when we're operating in the spirit of fear, in the spirit of anger, or in the spirit, that religious spirit. How many of you guys know it was a religious spirit that put Jesus on the tree? It was a religious spirit that told Jesus, you're not living up to my application of religion, and therefore you need to die. Someone hugged someone recently. A, 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 they, they don't, um, this isn't someone in the church here, um, but they, they hugged a, an ant, and after they hugged the ant, the ant asked them where they stood on a particular issue, and when they said where they stood, the ant was on the other side of that issue, and she said, I hope that when this happens to you, that you die. When do humans act like that? That's a demonic spirit. When an aunt says to her nephew, because of a decision that you made, I hope the outcome is that you die. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Now, the stakes are no higher than they've ever been. It's just that I think things are probably a little closer to the surface right now in this wild moment that we're alive. Are you guys in a good mood yet? <laughs> All right. So how do we deal with this? Now, this is, I'm not, I'm not seeking, okay, I'm gonna try to stay. I prayed earlier today, Lord Jesus, help me to preach the one message that I prepared. So you guys can just say amen to that. Okay, fine, I'll preach the one message. Kind of hurt my feelings. I'm kidding. So let me, let me speak to this then, because if we are coming against a spirit of fear, of anger, and of a religious spirit, what are the opposite spirits? Because we know that Jesus, remember he said, you, you must know what spirit you're of. Remember the disciples, they wanted to call down fire because a particular town didn't receive them. They said, can we call down fire and destroy it? And he says, hey, you don't know what spirit you're of. I didn't come to destroy the world, I came to save it. Satan's the one that's trying to destroy the world, so quick, don't call down fire. And there's a scripture for that. It says, the wrath of man does not accomplish the righteous requirements of God. So if you and I, see, we have to lift one hand without wrath and one without, hand without doubt to present the kingdom of heaven. We cannot come in the spirit of anger and accomplish the righteous requirements of God. Will you receive that? That's the, that's the Lord's words to us. It also says, perfect love casts out all fear. So we cannot come with a spirit of fear or else we will represent the kingdom in a way that doesn't represent the actual kingdom. 
It doesn't mean that there aren't things that we should be afraid of in a, in a tangible, contextual way. But when fear is, is dealing with us, we begin to see everything through the lens of fear. How many of you guys have ever experienced that? If you've ever dealt with someone who's been abused, um, then they begin to relate with any situation that, 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 that they, they may have learned. Okay, let me say it like this. Someone was abused, a young woman is abused by a man early on in life, or maybe it does, I'm just using this for the example, it's not the only abuse that happens. But then she learns men are not safe. Is that true? No, that's not true. That man was not safe. But it doesn't mean that all men are unsafe. But that becomes a lens then, that for that young lady, she then sees life through that lens, men are not safe. And, and the enemy, he seeks to do that to each of us. He seeks to take our experience and then cause that to use that as a lens so we then see, the, see life through that lens. And right now, we're in a season where that spirit of fear is trying to become the lens that we see all things through. Can you receive that? And we don't have to give in to that, but we do need to be active in order to resist that. And, and by the way, having fear of becoming afraid is still a motivation of fear. I'm afraid that everybody's becoming afraid. We need to do something about that. That's okay as an initial reaction, but if I'm going to operate in that, then where's the hope? It's the same spirit to try to save us from a spirit. Are you guys, are you guys tracking with me? All right, so then what do we do, right? I think I've talked about the problem quite a bit. So what do we do about that? Well, I want to talk about uh, what the scriptures actually say. So I've got four things that I think are going to be really helpful for all of us, and I want to present them to you. Number one, when we're dealing with this moment, we need to, first of all, dealing with existential anxiety. Probably some of you have a hard time accepting fear. I'm dealing with a spirit of fear. Because we're like, no, I'm not. I'm not a wussy. I'm not dealing with a spirit of fear. Okay, that's okay because... Uh, I get that. You're, you're courageous and strong. And you are. But when we begin to look at fear in all the different ways that it tries to manipulate us and we're not actively following God and what he's called, um, we can actually come under the experience and the influence of fear and not really recognize what it is. So, you know what? Rather than dissecting every bit of fear that could happen, we can focus on what we are doing and by virtue of what we're doing, we're not doing the thing we don't want to do. Did you receive that? That sounded almost kind of confusing. Did you get that? If you're doing one thing, you're not doing another. How's that? So what do we want to be doing? Number one, remember the testimony of God's faithfulness. David says, I meditate on your promises. I meditate on your statutes. I meditate on the testimonies of what you've done. Our history is with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Our history is with the God who gave his own son. Our history is with the creator of all the earth. And when you go to the scriptures and you look at the testimonies of who he is, what he has done, and what he has promised, you begin to defeat that spirit of fear, that existential anxiety. Because when you're concentrating on the promises and the testimony of God, you're not concentrating on the things that you're afraid of and the places you don't want to end up. And especially, by the way, guys, here's the thing. Right now, many of us are being faced. There's a couple of choices that each of us can make right now, and you need to make them. There are areas that each of us are responsible for right now, and we need to be praying and seeking the Lord for his wisdom in a time of life that none of us have lived. 
Other generations have lived through things like this, but we have not. Other generations and Red Crab have lived through things like this, but we have not. Sorry, Red. You can take that, right? <laughs> Red, never mind. One message right here, right here. One message, Red. I'm going to stick with it. So the first one, remember the testimony of God's faithfulness. The second one is, remember the meta-narrative. Jason preached a great message a couple weeks ago. Remember, he's talking about the meta-narrative. We are in God's story. Do you know what his story means? His story. We are in his story. He is redeeming all things. There are battles. There are battles, and we fight them, but he has won the war. Amen? So we, we got to remember that meta-narrative. It's the plot. Don't lose the plot. If you lose the plot, it is very easy to get sucked in by existential anxiety, right? It's kind of like, man, you don't even know which front to look at. So when we look at the meta-narrative, what it does is it reminds us, okay, what are the things that I actually have responsibility for and authority to do something with? And those are the things you and I have to concentrate on. One would be, am I present with my wife or my husband or my mama or my friends or whomever else? Like, am I present with the people with me? Because I have a responsibility to be with people and to love them as Christ loves them. And if I am so filled with existential anxiety and fears, which turns into anger, that I can't even be present with you, then I am not doing the thing that I actually have authority and responsibility to do. I'm here to bring heaven to earth, but I'm so worried about things that I don't even have authority or responsibility over. Physically, you all have authority to pray. Always pray. I'm just going to add that to the list. We're going to five things. Can't believe I didn't put that in there. Pray. Okay. Second service won't even know, but you guys just shh. Are you with me? You've got to be present. You have to see those battles that you do have to fight. There are real battles, and you must fight them. But if we don't remember the big picture, the plot, we don't even know what to shoot at. And you know who we end up shooting at? Our friends. Because that spirit of fear and anger and that religious spirit comes in and goes, if you're not for us, you're against us. Bam, I'm fighting all these battles with each other because you don't agree with me on the strategy, and we start fighting with each other. And what what just happened? We lost the plot. It's our Father that's working all things to good, amen? All right, number three, govern your intake and discern your source. Govern your intake and discern your source. You and I can only handle so much information. Remember when Jesus, okay, Jesus is the best reporter of all time. He's the only one that's seen seen the Father. He came down and shared the gospel of the good news of eternal life with him. And in the midst of that, he said to the disciples, I have lots of things I want to tell you, but you can't handle it right now. The reporters on earth are not as good as Jesus. They are like, this is broken, and that is broken, and this will kill you, and that will kill you, and this will kill you, and that is broken, and you are broken, and she will kill you, and he will kill you, and you need to make a decision, and you know what's going on across the world? Oh, and they're coming, and they hate you, and she hates you, and he voted wrong, and you're ugly, and you're beautiful, and you should learn from them, and they don't like you. And, oh, you know, anyway, the list goes on. I was kind of enjoying that. But it's horrible, isn't it? And you're just like, ha, you don't even know what to do at the end of this. So you have to govern your intake 
and discern your source. I remember I used to see those bumper stickers, kill your television, and I'm like, that is so weird. This is the dumbest thing I've ever, now I'm like, kill your television and your smartphone. Take control of that device, put a governor on it. Decide how much screen time you're having in a day. Decide when you, when you watch the news and when you don't. And also, by the way, when somebody comes with a lot of bad news, We've been doing this in our house. This is free. It's not on my list, but we love it. And it's this. Lament. Like, lament. Ah! And, mm, and, oh! Pray and move on. Stop talking about it. Like, if, once you've prayed, unless there's an action step right then, like, if there is, go do that action step. But otherwise, pray and then stop talking about it until it comes up again. Amen? That was not even in the sermon. I should stop right there because that was a really good sermon, huh? It was good. Yesterday, Red used that line of like, make it good or make it short. Well, I'm not going to do either. (laughs) Number four, cast your burdens on the Lord. Cast your burdens on the Lord and write it down. Okay, so I've just given you these four, so I'm going to run through it again. You can write this down because this is really good. Why aren't you not writing down this sermon? Where are your, I prepared this for you. No one's writing. Okay, go back and listen to the podcast and then write it down. Anyway, number one, remember the testimony of God's faithfulness. Number two, remember the meta-narrative, the plot. Number three, govern your intake and discern your source. That doesn't mean get in a vortex of fact-checking for three hours. Just ask the Lord, Lord, how much of this and where do you want me to get it? I'm not saying you don't fact check. I'm just saying don't get in the vortex. Number four, cast your burden on God and write it down. And I'm going to get to that. I'm going to talk about that. And number five, which we just added, is pray. Here we go. The first scripture, Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Come on, just, 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 just receive that. Just receive that. Can we read? Let's read that together. Let's read that together. Okay, we're declaring this over ourselves, over our families, over our tribe. Let's just say this together. You guys ready? Okay, are we ready? Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Whew, that's a good promise. That's a good promise. Okay, the second one then is remember the meta narrative. I'm going to talk to you about that for a minute. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses uh, 6 through 10. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, thank God for that, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Did you catch this? How many of you guys, and, and, and I, how many of us are suffering right now? This is a very real time of suffering. Uh, What about the nephew whose aunt was like, I hope you die because I don't agree with your current decision right now. 
That's a form of suffering right now. How about the fact that we're concerned about what the future is? How about that we've never experienced a time where we've been in a state of emergency that just keeps getting extended, and meanwhile, it literally limits our constitutional rights? That's a form of suffering. How many times have we had where we as Judeo-Christians... Followers of Christ are being cast as the villains who judge and hate other people if they don't, uh, we're, we're being cast as that, that we hate other people if they don't want to follow the teachings of Christ. And we're, we're treated as the bigots. We're the problem. We're the reason. There's a suffering that we're going through. I, this is important. We have to validate this. This is important. This is part of the meta narrative. He says, but share in suffering for the gospel, by, the, by how? By the power of God. I want you to catch this. If you're, if, if, see, it's not fair when we dismiss somebody's suffering by saying, okay, but you know what? How about Afghanistan right now, you giant baby? This ain't suffering. Uh. No, that's so stupid. What we say is this. Yes, we are suffering because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we must embrace it like good sons and daughters, joining Jesus in his suffering. And let us be strengthened by the fact that our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan who are suffering even more than us are staying faithful. So let us be faithful. You see the difference? That religious spirit says you don't even get to suffer. It doesn't even count. You're not even in the story. That's a liar. We resist that by taking these scriptures and remembering the meta narrative. Amen? Let's keep going. Uh, but share in suffering for the gospel who saved us and called us to a holy calling. You guys have a holy calling. We have a holy calling, not because of our works, thank goodness, but because of his own purpose and his grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We are supposed to have suffering in our life. There's a measure of suffering that's absolutely appropriate. And in fact, like when you go to school, there's a level of suffering that happens because when you are in school, other people think you are a naive idiot for not doing all the things that they do and believing all the things that they believe. When you go to work, people should think that you're an ignorant or arrogant bigot for some of the things that you do based on their understanding of it. Not because you are an arrogant bigot. If you are an arrogant bigot, there's some scriptures for you, but that's not this sermon. Just repent, stop it. But the point is that people will perceive you as evil because you don't do the stuff the world is doing. And if you don't have any of that happening in your life, let that be an indicator to you that the reason why the world loves you, Jesus said, if the world loves you, that's a problem because it means that you're like them. But if it hates you, you're on the right track. Again, this is in the right context, okay? He's not saying the world should hate you because you're a jerk. Don't let that be the reason why the world hates you. But there is an appropriate reason where people who are in the world who are rejecting Jesus Christ better be rejecting you or there is a problem. And that's part of the meta narrative. So you gotta catch this. And you gotta remember too that there's a spiritual battle. We're, we're battling not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers in high places. And so our brothers and sisters, I'm sorry, the people that are in the world that God desires would be adopted and would choose to become our brothers and sisters are under the influence of the evil ones. So we don't, we don't hate them. He says, love your enemies, pray for them, but recognize they're under the sway of the evil one. 
You and I came to faith because the Father granted us repentance, and we're praying for people who don't know God to come to faith that God would grant them repentance. Are you guys with me? So you got to remember the meta narrative. I want to read a little bit more from 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. You, ha- you, however, <clears throat> you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, and yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This is really important. If we're going to deal with existential anxiety, it starts by looking at reality for what it is. All of us that desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Sometimes it's soft, sometimes it's hard. In China, I think I shared with you, uh, they can turn each other on on their smartphones and you can just report your neighbor that they have a dangerous idea. It's a dangerous idea. And then the van shows up, they throw you in the van, they start driving around and re-educating you. I.e., drug and beat you until you agree with the communist rule of China. That is called hard persecution. Soft persecution is the peer pressure that we have that if you don't agree with me, then it means you're antisocial or, or, or a conspiracy theorist or a bigot or a, or a, a something phobe, some kind of phobe. Okay, that's soft pressure, but it is also a persecution and a suffering that we are called to endure with faithfulness for the love of Jesus Christ. And, and not just as a, well, I don't need to say what not to. Let's just keep talking about what to. Here we go. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which is the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Preach the word. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, But having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Part of us being able to walk through this time with the peace and the joy and the power and the love and the sound mind that God has given us is to not be afraid to suffer. To not be afraid to be rejected, to be misunderstood. It's actually part of what we're called to do. And we do it with the spirit of Christ because we seek that those who are persecuting us would actually be saved. We seek that uh, that in our being misunderstood that we would continue to show by our good works and by our good spirit the gospel of Jesus Christ as we share the reason why we do what we do. 
You guys do not look encouraged right now. Are you not encouraged? That's, <laughs> you feel like you're suffering right now? Do not answer that. This context, though, gives us the opportunity to be able to just look at those things, see them, to know where they land, to know that we're on track, to remember where we are in the story, and to be at peace. That we can set our heart that by the power of God, we're able to do this. And then lastly, cast your burdens on God. This is a key part. You know, I talked earlier about when we're dealing with existential anxiety, right? This free-floating anxiety, these problems that are way too big for us. And we're looking at our leaders doing their best to grapple with it. And regardless of your opinion, I think everybody, I mean, regardless of which strategies you like and I like and they like and we like and all of that, I think we all agree that they have no idea what they're doing. Like, the world needs a savior. The smartest people in the world are like, this is too big for us. Well, as believers, we already know it's too big for them. And we also, I think this is the part, like, let's get an upgrade guide. It's also too big for us. It's like, well, if we could just get some Christians in there, they'd fix it. No, our God fixes it. And he doesn't even need Christians in there in order to do it. So our hope is in the Lord and the Lord alone. And, and, that, and that goes back to, number one, remember the testimony of God's faithfulness. Remember what he has done and what he's promised he will do. No one can take us out of his hands. Amen? Amen? All right. And this is the cast your burdens. I love this. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Cast your burden on the Lord. Now, I started to say it and then I interrupted myself. How rude about when we're dealing with existential um, anxiety, we're looking at a very real problem that's actually too big for me to solve. And if I try to skip that, just be like, oh, stop thinking about that. It's fine. It's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. But I don't actually take the time to acknowledge it. Your brain will not let you get away with that. I, I was using the example. I'll close with this. I was using the example the other day before I was doing this that it was like, when you're in your limbic system with this, it's, it's kind of like this, right? It's like, okay, there's a bear. Your brain's like, okay, remember where the bear was. And you're like, oh, there's a snake. You're like, all right, remember where the snake was. Oh, there's a fox, but it's a big one and it's rabid, so that's why I'm scared of foxes, not because I'm a big chicken. It's a rabid fox. Keep an eye on that one. Oh, there's a lion. Watch out for that. Oh, there's a murderous person. Keep an eye on that one. Oh, there's a barreling vehicle. We're there, that one. And you're like, okay. And then it's like, okay, wait, where was the bear? And your mind is just running this list of all these things that you're worried about. But they're all nebulous, and they're all too big of a problem for you to solve. Hence, existential anxiety. It's a spirit of fear. It just, it's just rolling. It just never stops. And that's the part where we get so mad at each other so easy, because we're like, well, if we can't even agree on solving one of these problems together, how in the world are we going to save the world? And then we're just mean to each other. Well, you are an idiot. And it's idiots like you that are causing the world to be having happen. What's happening? And the enemy just sits back and goes, <laughs> it's almost too easy. But here's how we can step out of that limbic system. Here's how we can do this. This is a very helpful part, running this list. And the last part with casting your burdens. Here's a practical way to do it. Just take out your piece of paper or your iPad or whatever it is, your iPhone, 
but take the, that thing and just write things I'm concerned about. Now, I didn't put things I'm afraid of because he says fear not. So I was like, I'm, I'm not even doing that. I'm not going to say things I'm afraid of because you already told me not to fear not. However, I, these are things I am concerned about, Lord, and I'm going to cast these on you. And so I just start writing them out. Things I'm concerned about. The response to COVID. COVID itself. And the list goes on. But I don't skip it. I don't say, oh, I'm not worried about it. The Lord's got it. No problem, blah, blah. Because that is a lie. I am concerned about it. And so as you write them down, you just write down everything you're concerned about until you get the end of the list, until there's nothing left. And do it every day. Do it a couple of times a day. If you start noticing it coming up, just stop what you're doing. I suggest you have it on your phone. I do it on my iPad because this is where I read the scriptures and I keep my journal. So don't steal this iPad. You'll probably fire me. I'm just kidding. I was just creating a little more existential anxiety. I have no secrets. I have no secrets. Don't worry. I like actually felt the room temperature shift. Like that was such a bad joke. <laughs> Josh, someday I will do a perfect sermon. It'll probably be in heaven. Write them down. Write them down until there's, your brain's not reporting anything else. And then just say, Lord, I put these things before you. I put these things before you. Would you speak to these things? And then go on with your day. And as they come, just keep bringing it out. And you will find that as you do these five things, you will be free to be able to preach the gospel and to serve him in the areas that you can make decisions, and you will be much better suited to fight the battles that we do need to fight together. Can you receive that? Amen. All right. Lord, I pray that you would bless us as a family. I pray that your peace would be upon us. I pray that you would lead us through these times, and I pray, God, that you would accomplish every good work that you're accomplishing in this season. Thank you for this opportunity to trust you. Thank you, Lord, that your kingdom is coming and your will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. Let it be all the more. Amen. The prayer servant team is coming forward, and I want to encourage you, please, let us pray for you. Prayer is powerful, and we want to agree for God's purposes in your life. So if you need prayer, I mean, everybody needs prayer. So if, uh, if you don't need prayer, go without being prayed for. Otherwise, come get some prayer.